Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 about the sons of God on what the essential problem is with unequally yoked marriages. And we'll also look at Abraham, who was concerned over a wrong marriage for his son Isaac. Now, Tom Cantor's written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a book that will show you scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Now, over 500 scriptures are denoted in this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecies and Fulfillments. It's an amazing study that shows how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's a must-have for any Christian at Christmas time, and it's a great gift to give any Jewish person for Hanukkah or who may be searching for the truth and evidence in the scriptures of who the Messiah really is. Now, you can order this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecy and Fulfillment for a donation of $20 or more by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. With your donation of $20 or more, get the Tom Cantor Prophecy and Fulfillment book, and it supports this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God and Jewish Evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. So again, call us for this book at 800 247 3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God, as we study Genesis chapter 6 about the sons of God. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is a light to us, Lord. It's a lamp to us. And we so much treasure that lamp, that light to our path, to our feet. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to heed the light that comes from your word. Lord, to as we saw in a hymn earlier this morning, engrave it on our heart. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 6, reading here the first few verses. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also has flesh, and his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the earth, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, that's as far as we're going to go this morning. Now, last week we looked again at the problem that is described in Genesis 6-2, where the sons of God made these decisions to who they would marry. And we saw that they made their decisions strictly based on the outward appearance of these women. We saw three very important words that clue us in as to that what went wrong with the decisions of who to marry. And those three important words from verse 2, that tell the whole story of what went wrong with the words saw, took, and chose. That's what went wrong in verse 2. These sons of God, they saw the beauty of these daughters of the devil, and they chose them based on that outward beauty, and they took them 
And this is the great thing about the Word of God, is that it not only tells us what happened, but it tells us why things happen. Because the curse, you know, the flood, causeless, does not come. And so this helps us a lot in our learning, because we want to learn very, very well what went wrong. And so those three words are very important. They saw, they chose, they took them. It all goes bad from there. It goes from bad to worse and finally ends in a worldwide flood. So what we gain from this as a believer is the importance on who to marry. Now, most of us don't have that decision anymore. (laughs) You know, This is a very bad joke. I'm sorry to tell it. But uh, one wife was yelling at her husband one time. and said, you'll be sorry. I'm going to leave you. And then he said, make up your mind. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. I have to come apologize. I don't know why. All right, so now, if you turn in 2 Corinthians 6.14... It's very, very important, this verse here, 2 Corinthians 6.14. And it says here, very important, but we want to look at it again. Be ye not unequally yoked, it says, together with unbelievers. And then it asks two questions. First question, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Second question, what communion hath light with darkness? Can you imagine two ox? We don't have ox so much here yoked together. We don't have that going on here. We do in Ethiopia, but anyway. Can you imagine two oxen tied together and one wants to go the other way and the other way? I mean, that's a pretty difficult situation, right? And if you saw that, you would say to the farmer, why don't you put two oxen, same yoke, that want to go the same way? Or unyoke them or do something that's terrible. Because they have these different minds on where to go. And it's painful, it would be painful to watch something like that. And if a saved person marries a lost person, you can expect that that yoke is going to be painful as one wants to go this way and the other wants to go that way. And you picture in your mind two oxen that are this way. They're miserable trying to go two different directions. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Picture one mate who wants to live in righteousness. There's one mate who's reading the Bible and letting the Holy Spirit, as he does, point out sinful areas in the life. And the believer is daily confessing those sins and forsaking those sins and trying to stay clean in life. And now, they're going in this direction, right? And now, they want to please God. And so now the other person just wants to enjoy life a little bit, just wants to enjoy the pleasures of unrighteousness. You know, that mate says, you know, this lifestyle is too straight. It's too narrow. And for me, this life is boring and it's uninteresting. And the lost mate says, Let's, we need a little fun in life, a little bit of fun from the risque, a little bit of spice. In life, a little bit of naughtiness in life. That makes life interesting. And so, you know, you have the, the one this way, the other that way. You know, it's miserable. And the only about the only thing that's happening here is they're both getting their very sore necks <laughs> and frustrated. And, and one of the two mates is going to give in. One of the two mates is going to get in because that's a life of misery. 
being unequally yoked. Or the scene of two unequally yoked, as Paul says in the verse, what communion hath light with darkness? So picture one mate wants light from reading the Bible, from getting together with believers and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, from coming to church. And so he's going this way. And the other mate sees it as just a suffocating life. It's just, it's just painfully enduring. It's like being in, having a root canal done with no Novocaine. It's white knuckle all the way. Ever seen anybody church like that? <laughs> Let me look around. No. <laughs> anyway, in fact, the other way just would rather read, just watch movies instead of read the Bible. How boring. Or meet with friends and talk about anything but religion. See, back and forth, back and forth, sore necks, frustrating. One of the two is going to get it. What's the essential problem? The essential problem we've seen before is in Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Very good for the... Uh, I'm sure that Paul had this in mind when he used this example. Can, well, the only thing is, is that he's making, calling us ox. But apart from that, he says, can two, can two ox go together except they believe? Can two walk together? No, no. Now, so what we saw last week was how Abraham was so concerned for, the, for his son Isaac that he get the right wife. And so even though he was so weak, well-stricken in age, as we saw, and he had to rely on Eliezer, nevertheless, it was really Abraham in the plate. Eliezer was going in the stead of Abraham to go get the right, choose the wife for Isaac. You know, it sounds a little bit... I don't know. I don't know how it sounds to you. You know, there's poor Isaac. You know, he's out there in the field minding his own business. And uh, all of a sudden, he is presented with, this is your wife, you know. Well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I met a man last week, Wesley, uh, over your house, Tim, from India, who's both a pastor and a professor of astrophysics at UCSD. Not exactly backwards, but anyway, he, he's a debater, of Richard Dawkins, who's debated Richard Dawkins. And he told me that in India, his family chose his wife for him in India. And then they presented the woman that they had, he'd never met her before. And they said, you know, this is the one we've chosen to be your wife. And so, fortunately, they said before they got married that they liked each other. And that's a good thing. <laughs> But maybe, I don't know if that was important or not to them. But anyway, so what is the benefit of Abraham choose through Eliezer choosing the wife for Isaac or Wesley's family choosing the wife for Wesley? Well, their choices in either case was not based on outward appearances, but on what we talked about before, the inward qualities and whether or not they would be of the same spiritual family, spiritual kin to each other. I remember one night we were having dinner, we had friends over, and one of our sons said, in this uh, setting, that he, told, he made this announcement, that he would not marry anyone that we did not approve of. I just about fell on the floor when, I, when he said that. I didn't know that. And I thought to myself, well, that's not exactly the way it was when I got married. My father wanted me to marry Harriet Steinbaum. She was the daughter of the president of the synagogue. That was point. Anyway, but every day I thank God for giving me a wife that has not only moral character, but also that we're, on the same, that we're in the same family, same spiritual kin. That's important. If you're a believer and you have a believing mate, you should thank God every day for her or him. And if you don't have a mate, don't make the mistake of these sons of God who married the daughters of the devil 
So you look at what Abraham, look at, look at uh, if you would please, to Genesis chapter 25, verse 20. It's interesting. When did Abraham choose Isaac's wife? What we learn in this verse from Genesis 25, 20, he didn't choose a wife for him when he was six years old and say, now you just wait a little bit till you get married. This is when you're going to marry. It says here in Genesis 25, 20, and Isaac was 40 years old. They got married a little bit later those days. They live longer also, but anyway. Isaac was 40, but not as old as you, Ed. Where is Ed? He's over there. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Nevertheless, okay, we better stop that. All right, so Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. You know, Isaac was in the house there, and he submitted to this decision by his father Abraham as to who he was going to marry. And he was 40 years old. He wasn't a youngster. He was able to make his own decision. He was 40 years old. Well, Abraham was not the only one that was in the seed of God, in the family of God, who was concerned over a wrong marriage. And it's interesting, and you turn to the son of Isaac, and turn now to Genesis 26, 34-35, and here we have the son of the one that we're talking about. And what's interesting in this verse is he's the same age as Isaac was. It says, and Esau was 40 years old. So he's the same age as his father was when he got married, 40. But this doesn't say that, that, he wanted, that he relied on his father Isaac to help him out with the decision as to who to marry. doesn't say he helped anybody help him out who's to marry. It just says when he was 40 years old, he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Bashemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. He, this is, see, see the difference here? This, he's, he's, he's acting like the sons of God who just took without any counsel from anyone else. And it says in verse 35 that this was a grief of mind to um, Isaac, unto Isaac and to Rebekah. He was 40 years old, same age as Isaac. What a difference between these two. Now, this was such an issue for Isaac and Rebekah they never got over it for their whole lives. It was a grief. It was a, a mara. It was a bitterness. The name of that place when the children of Israel came to those waters that were polluted and they were bitter and they couldn't drink them. He said, every time we remember this, Isaac and Rebekah could say, it's bitterness inside of us, like those poisoned waters. Terrible. In fact... This was such a bitterness of mind to them that that's what Rebekah used as an argument uh, to Isaac to send Jacob away. Look at Genesis 27, 46. 27, 46. Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life. That bitterness had really worn on her because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? See? This is really a bitterness to her. Really, really, wait. And the send him away. So they send him away. Of course, it also it might have something to do with the fact that his brother was trying to kill him, the mother was trying to save him, but apart from that, it's still a bitterness to his life. We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here 
and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading, and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800 247 3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Great concern. And this was God's great concern also for the Jewish people. When you turn to Deuteronomy 7 1, please. Deuteronomy 7 1. Here again, God is giving landing instructions, you know, like the pilot who comes over and says, now, you know, fasten your seatbelt, we're going to land. And so here's God giving landing instructions to the children of Israel for when they enter into the land that he's provided for them. And he says that in Deuteronomy 7, 1, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, no sure nor show mercy unto them. And then he says in verse 3, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy daughter from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee. Turn away thy son, I guess. Anyway, and destroy thee suddenly, you see. So he's saying, God says, I know how this yoke's going to work. He says, I know when the two are going the other one, I know which one's going to give in. See, God has experience, so he understands. And he was explaining to them, you know, don't do that. And that was. And oh, well, let me go on. Okay, now look at Joshua 23. Joshua 23, 11. So God, Moses had told them, don't do it. In, uh, in his last book of uh, Deuteronomy, don't do it. And now, when the baton gets passed from Moses to Joshua, he turns around and he reminds them again in Joshua 23, 11. He says, take good heed, not just take heed, but take good heed, therefore unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do any wise, if you do any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of those nations, even those that remain among you, and shall... And so, so now, before we go on, how do you go back? He says, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of those nations from before you, but they will be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes. Boy, that's terrible. Thorns in your eyes, you know. Bad enough to get a speck of dust, much less a thorn in the eye. Until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Now, this was the downfall, in fact, of the Jewish people. And look at Judges chapter 3, sorry. Judges chapter 3. 
verse 1. Why all the warning? Because that's what happened. And Judges chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove. In other words, to try, just like Abraham was tried in uh, Genesis 22. They left these nations there to prove Israel by them, even as many as Israel had not known, had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, and of the Canaanites, of the Sidonians, of the Hivites, in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, unto the entry of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commands of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Probably had them too, though. And they took their daughters to be their wives. That's tragic. They did exactly what Moses told them not to do, and Joshua, and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and their groves and the groves. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them unto the hand of, oh, I'm not even going to try that one, but anyway, that king in Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that king in Mesopotamia eight years. Well, you know, so there's a big problem for Israel. You know, they stopped making war, they stopped making love. So there's a huge problem here. And they fell. They fell because of this. This, this, How serious is this problem? How serious? It was the downfall of the great King Solomon. It was the downfall of the great King Solomon. The son of the King David. Promised by God. The one of all of David's sons chosen to carry on the seed the Messiah would come through. This King Solomon, this humble one, who God loved because he didn't ask for himself riches and so forth, but he asked, he asked God to give him the tools to rule the kingdom. He asked God to give him the ability to carry out the responsibility that God had given to him. Give me wisdom. This King Solomon the author of the book of wisdom, the Proverbs, that we read every day to keep us on the straight and narrow. He didn't stay on the straight and narrow. This King Solomon had such wisdom that made Israel a great nation. The builder of the temple, known as Solomon the Great among the other nations, so much so that the Queen of Sheba came and said that the half of his greatness was not told in Ethiopia. This King Solomon who inspired those that worked for him so much that when the queen of Sheba, who also had people working for her, came, she said, your servants are so happy. They're so happy, which was unusual for her. This is who we're talking about. The one who God said, I love him. He's called the one loved by God, whose prayer was heard And in response to his prayer, God hallowed the temple and filled the the temple with his name forever. That's what it says. This King Solomon, one to whom the Lord Jesus Christ, who God appeared to twice, he fell away from God. And we say to ourselves, are we talking about the same King Solomon? We are. And what could have happened to Solomon? All right, turn. 1 Kings 11.1. It's very important that we do this autopsy correctly. 
<laughs> we have a dead king here. Well, not exactly. But anyway, we have a failure on our hand, and we want to analyze it very carefully. So God tells us what happened. First Kings 11.1, 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women. Uh, you may or may not be aware of this, that uh, in Ethiopia there is a uh, very, very commonly believed that although it's not in the Bible, that the Queen of Sheba not only came back with the knowledge of King Solomon, she also came back with his baby. And that's why we have the, the uh, black Falasha who have DNA that is related to the Jewish people. And uh, that's why we have King Haile Selassie, who called himself the Lion of the King of the Tribe of Judah, and so forth. And as it goes on there... Anyway, and knowing what we know about Solomon, we can um, not disagree that that wouldn't have been probable. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, we want to encourage you to support it with a donation, one time, online at friendshipwithgod.org. But if you'd like to be one of our monthly supporters, you can call us at 800-247-3051. You can also call us with a one-time donation as well, too, but call us directly at 800-247-3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps. has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got the most popular Bible scriptures to study and memorize section. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. We'll be shipping this in January. You can order it today, pre-order it, for a donation of $100 or more, we'll send it to you. Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study Bible. Call us, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. 